open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As we have our 2017 Christmas message, and it's all, of course, it's about Jesus' birth. We've read a couple of scriptures earlier that talks with the, about the anticipation of our Savior coming. Here in our message today, we are going to see that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has arrived. It is born, and we're going to celebrate, as we do celebrate this time of season, uh, of our Savior's birth. Now, what's interesting here in Luke chapter 2, uh, we will pick, back, pick up right here in verse 1. We're going to take verses 1 through 20. And it's, and it's key words here in the very beginning of this is, uh, is uh, it came, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We see this right in the very beginning of the part here of the story today that it came to pass. What came to pass? It what came to pass is what we've read in the scriptures with the anticipation and the promises that God had given from the beginning of time back in starting in Genesis. And we see that theme all the way through to Revelation. The promise that God has said that he was going to redeem man to himself. And he had a plan from the beginning of time to redeem a lost world. And with that, we see here in our story, it came to pass. It came true. It's exactly what God said would happen. It is about to, we're going to read, it has happened, or going to be written here as we study this, to show that it has happened, that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because picture what was happening in those days. Many times people read the scriptures today, or many times people are teaching from the scriptures in many churches today, um, and they teach the scripture as it's like some, some good story that was made up of. And it was someone just kind of came up with a great story, and it's been passed down from you know, generation upon generation, and, and it's been modified and changed and kind of whipped up a little bit. Dif- depends on who's teaching it and depends on how. But what we know and understand is that God's word is his word. It's the inherent word of God. And that it was given by him for us, for our life, for, for our purposes. And that as we read these, this story, this is not some event that some man created. It is God's divine plan, and he rolled out that plan exactly the way he wants to roll it out. And so we understand that many times... You know, people look at the Bible and say it's just, you know, interesting read. But we understand the fact that the Bible records actual history and real events. This is not once upon a time in a far, far land. No, this actually took place. And we know that as children of God. These are not stories from movies. This is not the latest Thor movie with Zeus and Apollos from some Mount Olympus, and, but this is a real story that actually took place and was promised ahead of time, 700 years ahead of time. That's what we call prophecy. But a decree was, went out from a Caesar Augustus. Now this is pretty remarkable because if you remember the history, if you know your history, during this period of time, Things were not as great as you think in the Roman Empire that was taking place. There was a lot of struggle. And if you remember uh, Julius Caesar and, and, uh, and ruling and Rome was taken over. And it's really powerful, powerful government. But there was a person by the name of Gaius Octavian named after his father. His grandmother was the sister of Julius Caesar, and being a talented young man, Octavian came to the attention of his great-uncle, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar adopted this young man and brought him into his family, and about a year later, this was around 45 B.C. That when uh, that took place, but when after about a year or so, Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar was murdered, 
And Octavian then was joined with two other leaders to oversee the Roman Empire. Divided into three parts. And within that, there was a struggle within the leadership. They all wanted to become the leader. One wanted to be a leader in this area, in this area. And they all said, my leaders are better than your leader. And nothing new under the sun. And we see the, the struggle that people wanted power and prestige and prominence. And not only Octavian, but Mark Antony and Lepidus was split and was trying to dominate. And the Mediterranean world was dominated by Rome. But because of the division within the Roman Empire, then what happened was we find that Octavian and Mark Antony overpowered Lepidius, and he ended up being removed. Well, it never stopped there. The continued in the history. We see Octavian and Antony continuing to fight over the years and continuing to struggles between the two armies until all of a sudden there was a, a plan of action by Antony to join up with Cleopatra, queen from Egypt, and said, we'll join forces and we'll overcome Octavian. Well, what didn't, they didn't anticipate is Octavian, even though he had a smaller army, less naval warships, the naval warships were smaller and more agile and overcame the big warships that Cleopatra sent to help. And we see that Octavian ended up taking out Antony and Cleopatra and from there we see he becomes the world dominator of that time. A government that was ruled by multiple, they proud, they thought they were, they had arrived, they've had this republic and a nation governed by rules and, and not by any one man. And now Octavius would change all of that in 27 B.C., and then he or then, of course, once you're in power, once you think you have arrived, and whatever you say you must they must do, it never stops there. Power and greed continues to dominate one's life when they think they are in charge. And what happens is, as we know historically, Octavian Octavius ruled from 27 years B.C., before Christ, to 14 years after the death of Christ. So he ruled for 41 to 42 years. But during that period of time, he went in front of that Roman Senate and said to them, because they felt because he was in charge and trying to appease this man, this ruler, emperor wasn't good enough. The title of of emperor wasn't good enough. He wanted to take on the title of Caesar, just like uh, previous leaders, but he wanted something more powerful, and they came up with the title Augustus, which means exalted or of the gods, sacred. He became the god. So people needed to now worship him because he was the ruler. And because of that, and because this man was so smart, he brought peace to the region because who was going to go against him? He had such administrative skills and ability to, for war and to manage, it actually brought peace to the region. Because through war or through pressure or through dominance, no one was going to rise up and go against him. He was too smart. He had everything together. And everyone said, hey, things are really going great. Every, we don't have war. No one's going out to war anymore. Let's just keep the peace. But Caesar Augustus demanded absolute power over the Roman Empire. Now what's interesting is he wanted to be everything to everybody. But the challenge is, is what we have here is a political savior. We don't have the savior 
of the world. We have a political savior. People put their trust in a political savior. He will save me. He will bring peace in this world. This political savior is what's going to make sure the economy is back on track. This political savior is the one that's going to make sure there's no more war. This political savior is the one that's going to know all and see and put everybody in line and make sure people do what needs to be done. We just need to make sure we have the right political leader in place. And Octavian obviously muscled his way through this. And there became this sense of peace, but peace was by force and by rule of one man. In verse 2, we see that this census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. We know historically this is an anchor for us to know about the time this all is taking place. But this census, this registration had to take place because that came from the Caesar Augustus. They wanted everyone to go back and be registered or have a census take place to see how many people were in the empire. And they needed to know that for what reason? What do you think government wants to know about the census and know what's going on with the people? But for taxation. He's not going to send them the Christmas cards that year. They're certainly not going to give the checks back of money. The free turkey show up. No, no, no. It was to make sure they have everyone accounted for because a lot of war was taking place prior to that. They needed to know how many people were there and be make sure you're accountable so they can get the taxes from the people. It was the most efficiently and effective way to get everyone taxed so that the Roman Empire would thrive. But if you noticed here in verse 2, it says first took place. We know in Acts chapter 5 verse 37 that there were multiple or other census or other registrations. People had to go back to their homes to get registered for other taxes. And we see that in 6 AD, a well-known enrollment that took place. That, so, but this was the first one that took place after Caesar Augustus took power. But what happened then? How did that happen? How did he get someone, a people around the world to do that. Well, verse 3 says, So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. There was no choice back then. When Caesar Augustus spoke, people did it. There was no uprising. There was no Fox News report, CNN, reporters out on the streets saying we're going to pick it and we're going to tell our view and this is not right and this is not. None of that happened. Because you would lose your head. And that kept peace in the community. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. It's amazing one man in Rome gives a command, and the whole world responds to his word. Because at this point, no one man ever ruled the world of the known world at that point in time. But now he is. This one man speaks, and everyone obeys. Now, overall, Caesar Augustus was a good ruler. He expanded the Roman Empire. He put things in order. He overtook Egypt. He went back and brought the boatload of, of cash and all the gold and everything from Egypt and everywhere else who tried to come against him, brought it back and paid the soldiers and paid the people and infrastructure, all kinds of things we can see historically that was built by this man and all the wealth that came with it. But like Augustus, he thinks he had the power over the people. But we know the this, this story, don't we? It's like we see in John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus is confronted by another Roman leader 
who was also very powerful, and he thought he was very powerful, Pilate. And, he, and then Pilate said to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release, or to release you? But what did Jesus say to Pilate? You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So as Caesar Augustus is sitting there, giving his creed, telling the people what you're going to do, and get immediate obedience, and people will go and do what he's told to do, he thinks he's got power, but you and I know that he has no power. As he sat in his palace and makes his decree and eats his food and thinks, oh, how great and ultimate power that I have. But all he was was a puppet to God. He was just a tool that God used and placed him in a political position because God appoints all leaders of nations and he placed a Caesar Augustus in the position he needed to be for a time like this. God had promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We see that in Micah 5.2, 700 years prior to Caesar Augustus thinking he's in power and is ruling the world. How do you get a young couple that has turmoil going on in their town? They are a spectacle of the people. She is pregnant and they're not even married yet. How do you get a couple to move 80 to 90 miles in a third trimester. Men, you know what it's like to get your wife in the car on a Sunday to get to church in the third trimester. Can you imagine how sometimes people say, how is God going to do this in our life? How is this all going to work out? What is going to happen in the future? Is this where we're going to get stuck the rest of our lives? But what, just like they, Joseph and Mary, here they are in Nazareth needing to go to Bethlehem because they must go to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph and Mary are both from the lineage of David. And the city of David is Bethlehem. How are you going to get a pregnant lady, a young girl, 14, 15 years old, to Bethlehem? Well, God has his ways, and his ways are not our ways. And God put a political leader in control and with the power of his word, controlled and moved everyone to the place where God needed them to be. In this case, a young couple with child who needed to go to Bethlehem because that is where the Savior of the world was to be born. See, God can use anyone or anything to move mountains for his plan to be done in your life. You think you have to figure it out. You think you're smart enough to do it all. But as we know from the scriptures, if you just let him be in control of your life, you will watch him move you where he needs you to be, even though you do not fully understand it. Can you imagine the conversation? Joe, I'm not going to Bethlehem. I'm in my third trimester. Don't you understand? You guys don't understand a thing about a pregnant woman. You can hear the conversations, can't you? See, some people will say, oh, they had to get out of Nazareth. What if people were talking and gossiping about her because she was with child? 
Joseph said, hey, we got to get you out of here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you away secretly until then God intervened and brought the angel Gabriel in and said, no, 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 no. You're not going to put her away. You're gonna, she's going to be your wife. And we see that he took her as his wife. But they had not slept or have not become together as man and woman until after the birth of Jesus. So what happened? Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. They had to be registered. They had to go. It wasn't an option. They didn't understand why they had to go. All they knew is that the leader said, you must go, and you go. And they knew that their lineage, both him and Mary, were both from the lineage of David. So why did she go? It wasn't, part of the, the, uh, it wasn't part of the law for her to have to go. But why would she not want Joseph to be with her or be her be with Joseph when she was so close to having a child? Now keep in mind, many times we think she was, it's, it sounded like she might have been just two days away from having Jesus. And that she was actually having birth pains and, and, and her water broke while on the donkey. And you hear all kinds of teachings that go on. But the scripture doesn't say that. It just says that they were there, verse 6, and then the days were completed. We have no idea how long they were in Bethlehem before she had the baby. Could be weeks. All we know is that what the scripture says is God got him there. They were there for a period of time. And then the time was perfect in God's timing. I don't know what, was she full, full complete, uh, full weeks? Was, she a, was Jesus a little more on the preemie side? Was he, was he six days late? No, he was perfectly born on the perfect day that God had Plan. I, I find that reassuring, actually. I, th I think back of our, of, of our two girls being born. Maybe I was just naive. I didn't know and fully understand what it meant to, you know, to have a child. But I didn't have to have a child on a specific day. I just knew the child would naturally come the day that God would have her come. I didn't have to manipulate it and make sure we have a baby on a certain day or hold off, don't have it, can't have it today. It was really bad because five other people in our family have birthdays that day. We can't have it that day. Let's, let's hold off until the next day. Amazing how things go today about trying to manipulate what God is doing. I think it's freeing just to let God naturally take its natural course of how he's designed birth. It's a lot less stress to let God be in control. And that's exactly what happened here. Yes, we see that uh, she didn't have to go, but it was the right thing to go. Why? Not because she didn't want to have this baby without Joseph. Not the fact that he, she wanted to avoid the gossip. Not the fact that he wanted to try to to save face in some way. He had already accepted her as his wife. We see that in Matthew 1.24. Apparently they were already in betrothed. We see that obviously in verse 5. And pledged to be married after the birth. But keep in mind as we read this, this is God's story and God's plan and it's according to his way. He was going to take Mary and Joseph and move them to a place he had promised way beforehand that he would be born in Bethlehem. 
And it would happen exactly the way he's going to have it play out. And Joseph and Mary were just obedient. One of the striking things about Luke's narrative is how simple it is in contrast to how great this event is. They were alone. They had no family with them to have this baby. No place open to them. They were in some dark, dirty, cold place where animals hung out to eat. Not your ideal picture, would it be? It's not the ideal picture. But that's exactly how God designed it. <laughs> Sometimes we watch things happen in our lives and say, oh, this can't be of God. This is way too difficult. Or this is way too uh, inconvenient. Oh, this can't be. This is not how I had it all figured out here. But I go back to the scripture. It's like he took his own son. He didn't have family with them. Had no place to be put his head. They had no place to be warm and, and, and clean. He actually had no place. And that was part of God's design. For his purpose. But notice in the scripture, she brought forth. She, was by she didn't have a midwife there to coach her through this. She didn't have mom. She didn't have all of her friends there. She was completely, this young girl, 14, 15 or so years old, completely separated from her family, supporting friends who lived back in Nazareth. Now keep in mind, I find it interesting did they not go back to their town where their lineage is from? Are they not both from the tribe of David? Are they not supposed to be going back to Bethlehem? Do you not think there was some family still residing in Bethlehem that could have took them in? Because she was pregnant and because of the scandal, would they not receive her in? We see that she's the one it brought forth. We see that it was her firstborn son. It's not like she was experienced with having children. Also, make a note here in the scripture, the, the, um, the teaching dogma that we hear out there from other religions, the fact that Mary was a perpetual virgin her whole time, even after the birth of Jesus, we see very clearly right here that this was her firstborn son. We know in scripture that there was, she had other sons and daughters. She took the swaddling clothes, those strips of, of, of cloth and wrapped her baby. Wrapped her baby and placed him in a manger in a feeding trough of an animal can you picture that night she's she's like every woman who would have a child pain through the birth there was no epidurals at that time of the of the season right then Oh, I want the pool because I want to have the baby in the pool. It would be much more relaxing for me. Give me the drugs, Doc. I just need the drugs. None of it. Here she is in a dark, dirty, cold night in some back alley where the animals hung out. She's labor painting, crying out. And she does it on her own. 
wraps her own baby and then lays him what was God had provided in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this is not talking about the Holiday Inn people. They didn't have Holiday Inns back then. It was family, or there was these places where the caravans, because they would have traveled with hundreds of other people coming up to Bethlehem, or down to Bethlehem. They would have come in a caravan traveling together and they would have got there and there the way it was designed in the floors the animals would have been on the outside and there would be people that stayed inside but there was no room where everyone was gathering and buckering you know you know um, hampering down for the evening they had to go outside of all that by themselves in the dark dirty night And there she had her firstborn son. And that was, part, that was God's design. For his purpose. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country. Shepherds living out in the fields. Keeping watch over their flock by night. God's promise fulfilled. God's promise fulfilled that he, God himself, would come to visit man to redeem man. And that he then, not only that, then it would be then cascaded out and told to the whole world. The question is, it boggles our mind the fact that God would allow his son to be born in a back dark alley in the middle of a cold night. But not only that, but he first tells the first people he tells about the good news. We see here in verse 8 that there was the same country, shepherds living in the fields. Keeping watch over their flock by night. See, these Bethlehem shepherds were known to care for the temple flock. These same flock that they would then sacrifice at the temple. But when did this happen? When did this happen? What night did it happen? See, we get wrapped up in this December 25th as the day that it happened. But remember, regardless if it was the 25th or not the 25th, some will say, oh, it couldn't have been the 25th because it would have been too cold and the shepherds were not out there. Well, today, the shepherds are out there with their sheep in the t December time frame. So I don't think that's true. But it doesn't matter the day, does it? We today celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th, but it doesn't matter the day. It matters the fact that who we are celebrating. See, we get lost in the 25th versus lost in the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But regardless of the day, our focus is not on a day, but whom was born during this time. But what's interesting in verse 9, Behold, the, an angel of the Lord stood before them, these, these, these shepherds. These shepherds out in the middle of a field. Now you know as well as I do what the scriptures say about shepherds. They are not the most trusted guys around. Most of them were thieves. Most of them stank. Most of them were not trustworthy in any form or fashion. But God did not come to just hand-select people who were the most approachable. But notice here that God sent the angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you great tidings, 
good news. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, who is the Messiah, the Lord, Jehovah. And this will be the sign to you. Shepherds, take note. This will be the sign for you to know what's going on. What is the sign? You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes living in a manger. And suddenly there was with, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Incredible scripture here. God decided to go to the, the most least of people of those days, shepherds, to declare the great news, the good tidings to them. I believe this angel that God sent was Gabriel himself. Because we notice back in chapter 1, verse 15, and, and chapter, I think, 26. No, verse 19 and verse 26. God sent Gabriel as a messenger to them, to Joseph and Mary, to talk about the news, uh, the, you know, talk about a baby announcement. Some people get really creative on their baby announcement. Try having God send an angel to give you the announcement. That tops it all, I'm telling you. But he didn't stop there. He actually used this angel, I believe Gabriel, to come down to these shepherds, people who I had nothing to do with, and they were the first ones God told the good news to. I've always been reminded from the very beginning when I got saved. I said, why would God ever want to talk to me? Why would God ever want to share anything with a sinner like me? And this scripture always spoke to me. It says, he sent his messenger right to the most unwanted people at that time, the shepherds. Why would he not want to share it with me? He says right here in the scripture, he wanted all people to know the good news. All people. He wants everyone to know that Jesus was born. Now, verse 11 really speaks to me as well, for there is born to you this day. God was born for you this day. Oh, yes, I know your spouse is perfect, and of course God would come for him. Her for him. But God came for you and for me. A Savior. The Messiah. The Jehovah. Came to this earth for you. Now it's interesting. This is exactly what mankind needs. If it was an economic problem, he would have sent an economist. If it was a political problem, he would have sent another politician. If it was just the books didn't line up and something, he would have sent a consultant. If it was an issue of people just not coming together, let's have another committee. He would have formed a committee. Things just needed just to change. He would have sent a reformer. But mankind didn't need any of those things. What mankind needed, you and I, we needed a savior. And so God sent his savior. God came to redeem man. God's plan of salvation is right here starting to unfold in front of our eyes plan of salvation for mankind. 
But imagine, this angel Gabriel shows up in the scene. What do those shepherds who are out there in the middle of a quiet night, hearing a bunch of, ah, ah, you know, and wondering if there was any wolves or bears or whatever else around about to take out their sheep, they're sitting there talking and having a conversation. Imagine who spoke first. What do you think they said? After that angel shows up, and then we see at the very end an entire host, thousands of angels coming out of heaven, coming down, praising glory to God in the highest. Which dude opened up his mouth first? And what do you say? Dude, did you see that? Did you see that? Am I, am I, am I dreaming? Wake me up here. Did, did this really just happen? And as we see in the scripture, not only did these angels come out, and the sound, and the, 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 the glorious view, but then in the scriptures we can see that they just didn't disappear. But you saw them fading back, and can you imagine their eyes glued that night on what they were watching in the midnight sky? We see a comet come by and we think, wow, this is incredible. But I bet you this was far greater. You can't even put your, your thought around it. So what did they do? What did they say? When you have these heavenly hosts, these band of soldiers that came out and proclaimed peace to the world. What do you say after that? Well, we see the response in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing, this event that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. All of that taking place. Overwhelming to a point where they're fearful, but Gabriel had to say, don't be afraid. It's all good. Take it all in. Listen to what we have, the good news. They were sharing the gospel with the shepherds right there in the field. That God Almighty has come, and he's come to save the world, to bring peace and give you life. Oh. What do you say? What do you ponder on? What do you think? Well, we see exactly what you should do once you hear the word of God speak to your immediate obedience. Just like the shepherds, let us now go to Bethlehem. God said, you've got to go to Bethlehem. You're going to see a sign there. It's not about a baby, was not the sign. Because there was other babies there. It's not a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was a normal thing for them to do to keep the baby warm. That was not the sign. The sign was the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, an animal feeding trough. That was the sign that you knew you were at the right place, you guys. And the shepherd said, let's go to Bethlehem. And we're going to see this event that we just were told about. That has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to them. They knew it wasn't just an angel saying this. This wasn't their fellow shepherds to the left or to the right telling them some, something. They heard from the Lord themselves and they recognized it. And when you hear from the Lord, we too must be immediate obedience. And if he says to go, you go. If he says to stay, you stay. You just be obedient to what God, the Lord himself, says to you with his word. Just like the shepherds. And they came. They didn't, they didn't saunter. They didn't say, oh, what are we going to do with these sheep? 
Forget the sheep. Are you kidding me? We're going to go to see the Savior of the world, the Messiah that we have been told about. He is born. He is there, wrapped in swaddling clothes, in a manger. Are you kidding me? Forget these sheep. What am my boss going to think? This is good news. Share the good news. Go. So they did. They made haste and they found Mary and Joseph. Just like the Lord said, there was the babe lying in a manger. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Amazing. They get there. They see Mary and Joseph, but most of all, they see that baby lying in that manger. And when they saw Jesus, they widely know, made widely known to everyone that was willing to listen what was told to them concerning this child that was born. The Savior's born. The Messiah has come. God Jehovah is here in the flesh. These simple shepherd men declared the truth with everyone. Widely. Not just your buddy. Not just your best friend. Not just your family but widely, made widely known. And all of those who heard it, all those who, they were out there telling this great news, these good tidings, all of those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Wow. But what's interesting, we see how other people responded, but look how Mary responded. And verse 19, but Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in their heart. See, don't forget what took place here. Mary shared what took place with Dr. Luke. Hey, Luke, Mary, what happened that night? What took place? Luke, the doctor, the detailed one, the historian. You read the book of Luke, you see very clearly of all the Gospels, he is the detail-oriented one. And God used Luke to write down the words for us today, and he used Mary to share those events. What did Mary say to Luke? What was what was, he, what was she sharing? How do you put it in words what was taking place? Here's this young girl. Oh my gosh, why are we going all the way to Bethlehem? Do we really need to? That is not part of our plan. It wasn't part of the bucket list here, Joe. We got to go. Mary, we got to go. Let's go. Did they get there and they expected to have family to help take them in because they're from that town or at least to have at least history or family ties there that someone would have allowed them to have some comforts? No, it doesn't appear, obviously. We'll stick with the caravan. But, but there's no room even where all the caravan people were gathering together. Joseph, are you kidding me? We're having this baby in a back alley at night? No candles, no light, no nothing? No one to help me? 
No one dared to be my coach to coach me through it. What happens if the baby gets sick? This is, this is, this is the Lord that we're about to deliver, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We're to, to, this doesn't line up with what I thought the Lord, God himself wouldn't allow his son to be born like this, would he? Yes. How approachable our Lord is. It's not like they had money, right? So Jesus was born in a poor family. They didn't have money to, to pay their way into some place to stay. So our Lord understands poverty and raised in a family that you don't even sure where your next meal may be. He understands you. Imagine. The people were marveled, but Mary just pondered all of this in her, 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 her heart about all of it that was taking place. But the shepherds not only were they sharing it, but they went back and they returned back to their responsibilities, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They didn't change the story. They didn't add to the story. They didn't delete from the story. They heard what the Lord told them. They saw what they saw. And they went back and they just shared the word of God and what took place. They did not add or delete from what God gave them. And we too. As we celebrate our Savior's birth. Share the good news. He came to this earth and took on a body like you and I to redeem you to himself. Why? Because he loves you that much. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your birth. We thank you for uh, able to remember and recognize that you came so humbly into this world, humbly sharing the good news with these shepherds, humbly brought this two young couple, this young couple Mary and, this, and Joseph, through things that we wouldn't even, even think about doing today. even fathom. But we know that it was part of your plan and it was perfectly played out. We celebrate the good tidings, the good news, the great joy that fills our heart because we have a Savior. The Messiah has come. Our Lord, our Master, Jehovah, is in control of our life. And we so desperately need you. And it's in your precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen.